Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Fortunately, we chased away all those people who couldn't get a seat last week. So don't worry. By next week, we'll be down to just 12 or so. It'll be just fine. No, don't worry. All right. Uh, toward the end of the church, here we go. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, Heavenly Father, grant to us, we pray, your Holy Spirit, that we may hear and accept your word in order that, being cleansed in mind and renewed in life, we may live for you only through Christ our Lord. Amen. Put some money in the basket for pads if you want. Uh, Betsy sends me a text in the middle of the night from Abu Dhabi. Don't forget, this is true, don't forget to put money in the basket for pads tomorrow. I'm like, was that worth waking up for at 3 a.m.? I don't know. My mistake for not turning my phone off. But um, anyway, Betsy's alive and well. That's good. On the way to teach in Thailand. So that's very nice, too. It's amazing what people... She's teaching deaconesses in Thailand for a couple of weeks, so that's fun. What else? Um, I've conned the Reverend Dr. Arthur Just and uh, Pete Ledick to go to Greece next year, kind of footsteps of Paul. October 13th, we're leaving. I'll be brochure next week. If you want to go, let me know. But um, Arthur's done this a couple of times. So uh, pads, grease, stuff. Okay, here we go. Um, so I was thinking about, as I, as I wrote to you, I was thinking about what to do next. And I, I thought, you know, I can think of nine stories that would be the next good story. So I was at least observing for you that the Lord's Prayer begins with and ends with the kingdom. Thy kingdom come and kingdom power and glory. So I wanted you to at least think about that a little bit because um, it would be good if you didn't give up your praying, especially with the state that the world's in. And that's sort of where we are right now. So I've already um, kind of halfway through point number two, which is let your prayers come first and not last, okay? But as you do that, and I want to remind you of this, we talked about this last year, but think about it again. You have to think about your status as a child of God. You always remember that God is very, very happy with you. You remember that the heart of God is love. You remember that God never abandons you and always looks for you. And no matter what you've done, um, the Lord always hopes to embrace you and if you fall and to restore you. And he never forgets you, right? So you pray from this notion of being a prodigal who's been returned. My son was lost, now he's found. Uh, He was dead and now he's alive. So I've turned the page. This is just at the top. And you remember that each morning... Your Heavenly Father greets you just the way he greeted Jesus after his baptism, which was to say to him, I really love you, you're my beloved son, and I'm really pleased with you. With you, I'm well pleased. This is the same way that God talks to you every day. So we pray, you know, from our sonship, from being a children of God. We stand, this is point four, uh, we stand where Jesus stands. Now, I've given you some long quotes because... I think they're valuable for you, but I can't, or it's not best if I just read you long quotes. So what I've, I've tried to do is just put in bold the point I'm trying to make. And even if you just read the bold points, you would get it. But the rest of it is quite valuable. The Lord's Prayer begins with this vision of a world, right? And we pray about that. We affirm that where we stand where Jesus stands. We can say, Our Father, may what you want shine through into this world and shape the kind of world that it's going to be. So, I mean, the world is just, you know, it gets crazier by the day. You can hardly, it's almost, you know, if 
you're like me, I'm almost numb to the crisis, right? There's, I know there's going to be a crisis today or tomorrow, and so, yeah, whatever, I'm going to, you know, I've actually just sort of, I haven't, can't remember the last time I've turned on the television. I sort of read a few things because it's a slower pace, but people are crazy, and the crazy people are in charge, so in all directions, right? It's just the world is just, uh, it is what it is, but I will diagnose it for you. It is a lack of love for other people. Uh, so the world spins down to what it spins down to. Um, but you pray for the world that God would give it shape. And you can do that in the Lord's Prayer. So I take you all the way to point number five. You know, I think I'm going to draw for you first because then I can... This is so, then at least you'll know where I'm going. So this notion that your father is the same father who is um, in the prodigal son story. That's the father who loves you. And the first question to answer is, where's your father? If I ask you where heaven is, I've done this to you before, asked you this before, but I want to ask you carefully. If I ask you um, where heaven is, if I ask you if heaven is near or far, what do you say? What did you learn growing up? Far. But I want to argue, of course, the opposite, that heaven is very, very near. So sometimes when we offer our prayers, we, it's as if God is so far away and you have to turn this up to 11 or have Mary come over to your house and help you which she will, she will come pray with you if you just ask her, you know. But it's so far away. But no, if you have to choose near or far, Jesus is very, your father is very, very near. Because heaven is the place where God lives. And God lives in Christ, and Christ is here. Yes, this is not going to make me happy. Is this yours right here? Can I get you a new one of these? Watch this. Nine, ten, eleven... That's not going to be good. So, um, the Father is near, not far. Start with that. As near as uh, this embrace. But the trouble is, if you have to say one thing about God the Father, if you can just say one thing, what's the thing that you would... Nice. What's the thing that you would say? If you had to describe him in one word, what would you say? That's very, very good, um, but you're going to have to wait for a moment, all right? Um, and although I would never want to discourage you, if you have to say one thing about the Father, if love comes up as the thing to say, that's what I hope you'll say. But when you were younger and your pastors were more frightening, how did they talk about it? God is? Yeah, omnipotent, but that's because you went to an advanced confirmation class. <laughs> omnipotent, yes, this is true. Almighty, good, you're getting close. Uh, what? Just, yeah, let me try for, let me try for holy, okay? We're getting new carpet in here. So, um, (laughs) the trouble is, here's the trouble with holiness. What's the trouble with God being holy? You're not, yes, that is actually true. Um, God's holy and you're not. So, what happens then if um, you bump into God? 
Uh, fear would be the best possible thing that could happen to you. I hope that that's all that would happen. But yes, that would be that would be a very nice thing. If it was only if, if it was only fear, um, that would be great. But probably it'll be your utter and total destruction, right? So this all kind of runs together. I didn't. There's a whole two or three other sermons I thought about preaching. But one of the things is, one of the things in the gospel for today is that when the leper glorifies God. It's the word that is reserved for angels and saints in heaven. You see the glory of God, and then you glorify him. Uh, The problem is, if you see the glory of God, it only happens three times in the whole scripture that anybody sees the glory of God. And if you see it, it, it'll be the death of you, right? It's just, it's such a rare thing. So what we need is holiness of God to come to us in a particular way. Now, the overachievers at that middle table, this is where they come in. What's really interesting is that the Lord finds a way to deliver his holiness to us as love, which means then when he touches you, it doesn't destroy you. When he touches you, it actually fills you with love. So our Father in heaven, which is not some cry to a father who's very, very far away, but our Father who is as near as the Father embracing the prodigal son. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Um, And that holiness then, I'm arguing, comes to us as love. So I'm sort of, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but I'm sort of at five. What happens when we beg for the kingdom to come? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So our Father, you're near to me. Hallowed be your name. The name tells us who God is. So the name tells us that God is holy. So my holy, very near Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And that's what we're curious about, what the kingdom of God is. Now, without peeking too much ahead on the outline, if I asked you to describe, when you hear the word kingdom, what is it that normally comes to mind for you? Sorry? What comes to mind? Power comes to mind. What else? Winning. What else? Wealth. Good. Anything else? Majestic. Majestic. Force. Getting your way. Being in charge. Being king. Right? So the question then is, what kind of kingdom does God uh, bring to us? And that's where we want to go today. So I've scooched ahead a little, but I'm at number six. Your father is no stranger, and these are all your siblings, right? It's our father, not my father. So even way back, Cyprian of Carthage, that's like 200 A.D.-ish. You know, he's saying, hey, we don't say my father in heaven, give me my daily bread. When we pray, we are not to pray for ourselves alone. So whatever this kingdom turns out to be, these are your people, And even more, those people out there are your people. It's very easy. You know, you might be able to swallow down the notion that I'm in. If you work hard, you can get to it that maybe these people are in. They're all fine sort of people. But those people out there, that's always the challenge for Christians. The challenge is always to live in a way, in a brutal world, that gives witness to a God who is love and not intent on destroying people, vengeance is my, I will repay, says the Lord, that's not your business, as 
a Christian, you are cemented to Christ, and so go to his cross with him. You suffer with Christ. Um, Here's the thing. I know that Lutherans have two kingdoms. I know that the kingdom of the government or of the world works by force. I know that there are people who have vocations in that uh, kingdom, judge, law enforcement, soldier, politician, that are honorable. I understand that. And I understand that if some force isn't applied, chaos will result. That's none, none of that is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what the kingdom of God is like in the world, right? I'm talking about what the church does in the world, how Christians live. So I'm not saying anything about, I'm not saying anything derogatory. In fact, I only want to say positive things about the other side that keeps order. We could use a bit more order and a bit more clarity and a bit more thoughtfulness and a bit more common good, right? We could use all of those things. But what I'm talking to you about is the church, and how you live in the church, and how you live in life, regardless of what anybody else does. The weakest argument in my family, uh, when people appeal to my status as judge, is to say, everybody else is doing it. Yeah, this is like, you couldn't do worse than say to me, everybody else is doing it, because I actually don't care what anybody else is doing, and I don't care what anybody else thinks, right? I really don't care. I'm really interested in what Jesus thinks and what Jesus is doing, but anybody else, really, I have very little interest. So, six, our father, he's not a stranger. Meet your siblings, we're all in it together, and even Cyprian of Carthage, look at that, our prayers for the general good, for the common good. When we pray, we don't just pray for our single selves, we pray for all God's people because they and we are one. Right, And you pray, and we've done this a lot last year, um, to him as your father or papa, you know, this beautiful, right? If you turn the page, then I give you this argument for heaven being near. So our father who art in heaven, near to me, heaven is the place where God lives, and heaven is here and now, not over there a long time from now. It's near, not far, it's here, it's now. Because it's in the flesh of Jesus. When you go to the altar today, I'm thinking today at the altar about people who've died, about friends. Um, When you go, they're all there, right? You remember this is why Lutherans used to have the graveyard right behind the altar, right? And this is sometimes why they have pictures of saints right behind the altar. And in some churches, you actually don't go around to the back part of the, it's only half a rail and then there's pictures of saints behind. Why? Because you don't, bump people out of the way when you go to the altar. You go to the next place, and the saints are already there. And the saints are already buried behind them out there. So you're all in it together, friends, right? Heaven is near. It's right here. It's in the flesh of Jesus. Wherever the flesh of Jesus is, heaven is there. Yes, not complete. Right? Yet, yes, not realized. Yes, not in perfection. But nevertheless, they're the way that Jesus is present in Galilee. It's the leper story. The 10th leper says, that's the temple of God. The temple isn't on Mount Gerizim. The temple isn't on Mount Zion. The temple is in the manger and on the cross and on the altar. That's the temple. So God is near to you, right? So just under, just the bold print, push out of your mind the idea that heaven 
I'm sorry, push out of your mind the idea of heaven you began with and try to imagine a more biblical picture instead. First, heaven and earth are not a long way apart. They're meant to overlap and interlock and finally, on the last day, be joined fully and forever. And the whole point of Jesus' identity all along is that he's been a one-man walking temple. He has been already the place where heaven and earth have met, where people on earth have come into contact with life and power of heaven, right? And then you can keep going if you want. Heaven is the place from which the earth is run. It's the CEO's office, right? So, you know, it's be and run. He was born to be king of the world. The king would upstage Caesar himself. He was baptized as Israel's Messiah, who in Psalm 2 would rule the nations. And he will someday, but not yet by force. And now he is enthroned, installed officially as what he was already in theory. This along with the resurrection, this is the ascension. The ascension along with the resurrection is part of what Jesus meant when he told his followers that the Son of Man would come into his kingdom and that they would see it. So often people say, well, it couldn't possibly be true because the world didn't end. The world is on the way to ending. This is all just a mop-up operation ever since the cross and the ascension, right? This is just like we're cleaning up after a world war. There are pockets of resistance, and at some point, if things don't shape up, then the big guns will come in. But we'll use the least force necessary right now, and we'll try to restore things. This is how the world plays out. At some point, yes, the Lord returns in power. But until then, we live in love and leave it up to him to sort it out. And if it kills you, uh, it's much to your advantage. So heaven and earth are not far apart, but are actually meeting and mingling in and through Jesus. Okay? I'm at number eight. I've already spoken about this a little bit, but so this notion that our Father is near to us, our Father is holy, we can't bear holiness straight on, and so he um, touches himself to us as love. God is love. I'm always nervous when um, I ask, either when I'm teaching or even with other pastors, and I, you know, give me one attribute of God. I'm startlingly nervous when wrath is the answer. Or especially when pastors talk about God is wrath as if that's his nature. No, no. The text says very clearly God is love. There are times when God is wrathful in response to people who are utterly evil or recalcitrant. But the nature of God is love. And you all don't need to find yourself, nor do I, do we need to find ourselves on the wrathful side, as if somehow wrath would establish the kingdom. There's wrath all over the world. This morning, you know, I haven't looked at the news, but I'm sure somewhere somebody is blowing other people up. Or there's some bar where eight people have been shot, or there's some place on the street where somebody went the wrong way down a road and killed a family of six in a minivan. It's predictable. The world is a horrible place in so many ways. For you to be wrathful about that is not very helpful, but to love people... This is the thing that can change people's hearts. So, hallowed be thy name, which is you're holy, and now what? We recognize that you're holy, hallowed be your name. So, now just remember, you've heard this a zillion times from me, but you don't get to see God face to face because he's glorious. So, God takes a step over and tells you his holy name, 
And you can use his name to baptize, you can use his name to bless, you can use his name to forgive, you can use his name to pray. But when you have the name, you have the God. Right? So, if you have the name, you have God. So we have this name. You're holy. Hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. One of the attributes of God is holiness. But if he touches us directly with that holiness, he'll destroy us. So how does he touch us? He touches us um, through means, right? Through stuff. So how does God touch us? He touches us through the flesh and blood of Jesus, born in the manger. So now put the whole Christmas story together. So Jesus is born. He's in the manger. The angels appear. And the, and the angels, what's the very first thing the angels say? They say, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. It's right there. So the holiness of heaven, glory, only the thing that angels can see and say, the glory of God is now in the manger. And is that about love or is it about wrath? Peace to his people on earth. So the holiness of heaven comes in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. The flesh and blood of Jesus Christ brings peace, not destruction. And that's for you, our Father, our people, our church, all of us together. God wants all his children home again. How does this happen? You pray for it. And he gives you that to pray because prayers get answered and things change. This is the way you change the world. You beg your father to do some good. He's holy, and you ask him not to come in holiness that destroys people, but to come in love that will let people be forgiven and flourish. Right? So when you pray, this is what you're praying. You're very near. You're very holy. And I'm very thankful that you haven't come to destroy us. Right? But rather that you've come to love us and change us. So um, I've given you this notion that the stuff that Jesus uses, the flesh and blood born of Mary, our Blessed Virgin Mother, the water in the baptismal font, the bread and wine that are on the altar. It's like insulation around the wire. You can grab the wire and you still get the energy, but you don't get shocked. That's what the stuff is like. The glory is hidden underneath the stuff. The energy is hidden underneath the wire. You still get all the benefits, but you get none of the destruction. Make sense? If not, go home and um, change a light without turning off the fuse box. And then come back next week and report. It'll be great, okay? So to beg that God's kingdom would come, Father in heaven, you're holy, thy kingdom come is to beg that love would come to us that he would come loving us and not destroying us. So what you're begging, and now I'll sort of give you the argument, which is, if you need to say in a couple of words what the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins. It seems too little, right? It seems insufficient for the problems that we face. It certainly doesn't Console us as if we're winners because it comes to us in a cross rather than having all your enemies slain. But um, turn the next page, and I'm just above 10, and I give you a little quote from the large catechism, right? What is the kingdom of God, 
right? Now you have to you have to kind of translate this because it's Luther and it's um, shorthand and it's you're used to it and when you're used to things you don't pay attention. But try it this way: What is the kingdom of God? That God, your heavenly Father, who really loves you and is very close to you, sent His Son in flesh and blood, Christ our Lord, into the world to redeem it, not to kill it, and to deliver us. How does that happen to us? It happens to us when we get forgiven. From the, and here it is, from the power of the devil. So, you know, what are you really up against? You're up against the notion that Satan continually attacks you. And when he's done with you, he moves to your wife, and then he moves to your kids, and he moves to your friends, he moves to your church, and then he comes back around. And if it's not this way, it'll be another way. And if you touch that, if you engage that, I end this, you know, I'm not going to get there, but I've ended this with an interview with an exorcist that I've read before where he says, the devil is constantly sizing you up and always ready to attack. And as soon as you engage, you're finished. As soon as you touch evil, as soon as you engage the conversation, as soon as you pick it up, you're finished. I'm just going to tell you, this is exactly how it works in your own life. As soon as you engage it, as soon as you think you're smarter than evil, as soon as you think that you can make it on your own, as soon as you think you can just taste a little bit, you are finished. That is, you are on the path to ruin, right? And then he has this clever line where he says, the devil doesn't work, have to work very hard on people without virtue because they don't have very big defenses, right? Which is why you go to church. So, he comes to forgive us and sustain us, to deliver us from the power of the devil and bring us to himself. There's your prodigal father, or your, son, your, your father embracing the prodigal son. And to rule us as a king, and it's actually good to have a good king, of righteousness, which as you know, right from Luther's lips, the 1542 introduction to his New Testament where he says, I hated God. When God told me to be righteous, I hated God because God, I knew I couldn't be righteous, I hated God. And then he said, one day I was reading through scripture and I realized the righteousness wasn't something that God wanted me to do. The righteousness was something that God gave to me. And then I loved God. Right? It's a very simple thing. If God demands what you can't do and this comes to destroy you, you hate him. If God comes bringing a gift of love and gives you all you need for this body and life, you love him. That's what this means. So he comes as king of righteousness, to which you'd say, this is fabulous because I'm a horrible king. And by the way, I'm a horrible God. And if you make me be king or if you make me be God, I will ruin it. And in the end, I'll be crushed by it. Nobody can bear the pressure of being God. So he comes as king of righteousness, of life and salvation, against sin and death and an evil conscience. What does that mean? He comes bringing holiness, the opposite of sin, the opposite of death, the opposite of evil. That's holiness. This is what God does. So what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is when this love is touched to you as forgiveness. It seems like such a little thing, hardly worth it at all, And yet the whole world turns on this because when you're forgiven, then you're holy. Right? Those are synonyms. To be forgiven is to be holy. And this is why God looks at you every day and says, I love you. You're my child. This is great. I'm pleased with you. Here we go. How much good can we do today? There's people over there who need you. How can your life be used? Raise your kids in this way. Live your life in this way. Have your marriage in this way. Here we go. 
right? The kingdom of God is here for you. It seems like such a small thing because the forgiveness comes in the flesh of Jesus at the Eucharist, at absolution, when the words are tucked into your ears. It comes to you at holy baptism where the holy name is put on you. Revelation 21.4, who are these people? The constant refrain in Revelation, who are these people? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Who are these people? These are the saints who have washed their robes in, in, in the blood of the Lamb. Who are these people? The very last word spoken of who are these people in Revelation 21, these are they who wear the name of God on their forehead, people who have been baptized. Right? Who are these people? These are people who have lived in forgiveness. These are people who know what it is to love. Now, here's the thing. This is point number 10. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. So the kingdom of God is forgiveness. Thy kingdom come. Right? So this is being forgiven. For you... Concordia students, this is justification. I have to work in the code that you've been given. So, so this is, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? So this is being forgiven, um, and then the will of God, which that we live in holiness, the will of God is living forgiven, or this is, if you will, sanctification. So God forgives you, and then you live in forgiveness. You see and say and do, just as Jesus sees and says and does. This is what you're begging for. You're, you're begging not only that holiness comes to earth in the kingdom of God. You're, you're, bearing, you're, you're begging not only that you become part of this, but that you're active in it, right? So first it's a gift, and then it's very active. This is the gift of God. He forgives you, and then you, according to the will of God, you live in forgiveness. So basically you're saying to yourself, I'm, you're saying in this prayer, Father, you're very near, you're very holy, and I'm not. Come love me anyway. Forgive me and let me live as your child. Make sense? You're just begging in this prayer to be a Christian, but not just for you, our Father, but for everybody. So let me live as a Christian. Let everybody live as a Christian. Let the kingdom of God expand. It's not this private club that's just for us. It's meant to wash out through the whole world and when people are struck by that, I've never seen anybody live like that. Nobody's ever loved me. This is the only solution I've ever gotten. Then people are interested in coming into the church. You will never argue people into the church. You'll never thrash people into the church. You'll never shame them into the church. That's not how the kingdom of God works. You forgive them into the church. Because deep down, people who have not gone so far that their heart is stone, will respond to the loving touch of God, like the prodigal son. There are people like the older son too, but even for them, the father doesn't judge. He's persistent. It just keeps going, right? And then I've given you um, this thing from Norman Nagel that I think, you know, if I could give you one thing to read, like this is the truest thing ever written, you know, outside the scriptures. The motive of Christian action is not force, but love. We live from the gospel, not from the law. Christ never gets behind his friends with a sword or a whip. He gets inside them through your ear, through your skin, through your mouth. He gets inside them with his love, a love that makes us free 
to want and achieve what God wants and plans. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done for me, for us, for the world, right? Love alone wins any worthwhile victory, right? And then kind of turn the page. I get pushback on this, um, especially from pastors who uh, find this to be a weakness, to which I readily admit, of course it's a weakness. Jesus had nails driven through him, right? Any worthwhile victory is done by love. Look at this. For people you meet on the street, by refusing to be made into an enemy, Jesus has no enemies, so I have no enemies. You have taken the first step towards love's victory of cleansing his heart of malice and making him your friend. Why in the world do you think that Jesus says, turn the other cheek, pray for those who hurt you, lend, expect nothing in return, right? Why is that? Because these things have effect on other people. They're otherworldly. They're from another kingdom. These are the gifts of heaven. To love people with no reason to love them, to love selflessly, is the way of God toward you and then toward you um, and from you toward everybody else. Right? Force is the failure of love. Yes, of course, sometimes force is necessary. Because people are evil and they follow the evil in their heart. Sometimes force is necessary. Of course it is. And there are people to whom force has been or from whom force has been requested. Policemen, for example, right? Or good judges or good politicians or good leaders, right? There are people whose job is to be virtuous in their force. But um, not us in how the church works. Of course, us in how the world works or how we might spare another person or, or help them, yes. But I'm just only working on the side of the church here. Positive good is the work of love. All our good hangs on Jesus going to Calvary. So what God is trying to do is restore Eden, right? He's trying to close the gap right now. Now to do that, we beg that God will sustain us. And what do you need for, to be sustained? You need um, something daily, right? Daily bread. And then uh, you also need something spiritual. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, as we forgive. So you'll need um, to take the forgiveness you've been given and give it on to other people. You take that into the world. But the interesting thing is you take this into the world as well. And there's a lot of arguments beginning very early in the church that, uh, at least as early as Cyprian, 200 AD, that, uh, and maybe earlier, um, that daily bread is actually a reference to daily Eucharist, right? Cyprian very clearly says daily Eucharist. Ambrose speaks that way in the 400, late 300s into the 400s as well. And then you begin to say, well, we can't really separate body and so that, well, of course we're praying for something on the dinner table. Of course we're praying for that. But as the long quote I've given you there from Cyprian where he talks about Jesus being the bread of life, Right? So it's not just bread, but the bread of life. And those things strengthen us, body and soul, so that we can move into the world and imitate and promulgate the kingdom of God. So what God does to us, what God gives to us, 
holiness in love, we are sustained and nourished to do to other people holiness in love. This is how our world works. So if you want to know what to do in any particular situation, you ask yourself, what's the holy, loving, forgiving thing? And then you'll find an answer. And that's what Christians are meant for. Now remember, you're begging this, you know, once or twice or two or ten times, or once or twice or three or ten times a day. This is, um, you're begging, you're begging that this can happen when you pray. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, right? Um, God drenches us with his gifts and he lets us carry on. And then finally, these two um, final things, which are exactly what we say to every vicar. If you ask the vicar, this would be a vicar test, but the very first words that are uttered to the vicar, to any vicar who comes is, you don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble. It's the primary rule for being a pastor. You don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble, right? Well, there it is in the Lord's Prayer, right? So... um, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. So um, keep us out of trouble. Keep us out of trouble. And great sadness that my markers aren't as good as my board. Keep us out of trouble and get us out of trouble, right? So don't take me places. where I'll touch evil, right? And then this quote from Lauren Winter, this is under 13. You know how we ask God in the Lord's Prayer not to lead us into temptation? Well, I think he honors that best when we don't go marching into temptation ourselves, right? Um, I was reading uh, uh, some, I, was, I don't even know what I was reading. I was reading something about... Um, some advice that a woman was getting from a spiritual director. And she um, was wearied by the amount of spiritual attack that had been visited on her. And she was asked what to do. And the spiritual director replied by saying, keep the demons on the outside. You're fine as long as the demons are on the outside, right? So um, if you touch evil... You open doors, and each bit of evil is a slash to your soul, right? And if you leave those doors open for too long, you know, you go the way of all flesh. Death and darkness and all the rest that comes with that. The reason you come here every week is to be forgiven, to close those doors, to wash everything clean, to let your wounds heal, and to go back out into the world in the way of Jesus again and again, and again, and again. You know, we did this all last year, and it was such a... The responses I got from you all were so helpful, and... But it's easy to forget. We go away for the summer. I mean, I just... I'm begging you to say your prayers, at the very least, morning and evening. And if you can't say any prayers on your own, that's the reason we pack so many prayers into the bulletin every week. Take that home, pray those prayers. But more than anything else, pray this prayer. This prayer is the life of the church. Your Heavenly Father loves you and is very near to you. Your Heavenly Father would give you everything. Just ask. And when you ask, ask for this. Ask that you could live in holiness because holiness is life.
beg for that life in the flesh and blood of Jesus and in the holy sacraments that touch you and give you the kingdom of God, make you part of the kingdom of God. And because you're part of the kingdom of God, live that way, both toward these people who are here, but also toward people who are out there. Love them, lend to them, forgive them, be patient with them, turn the other cheek, and stay away from evil. And when evil comes to find you, and it will, beg God to spare you, and know that um, you won't be tempted beyond your strength. This is from the large catechism. I guess we'll close with this. But to experience attack, this is under 13, is something quite different from consenting to it or saying yes. So all the stuff I've said to you, this is normal Luther stuff. This is, this is Lutheran catechism, large catechism stuff. The large catechism says you're going to be under spiritual attack. You know, the old evil foe now meet deadly woe. We'll sing it in a couple of weeks. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Please take this seriously. That even if you don't touch evil, evil will come to touch you. Just expect it and know what to do when it comes. You say your prayers and you go to the Holy Supper. To experience attack is a quite a different thing from consenting or saying yes. Never say yes. But no one can be harmed merely by experiencing attack. As, as cruel and heartless as evil can be to you, as difficult as, as demonic attack can be on you, as difficult... It can't hurt you. It can disorient you. You can feel horrible physically, mentally, spiritually. You can, it can wear you out. But it can't destroy you, right? We Christians must be armed and expect every day to be under continuous attack. I just turned the page. At such times, our only help and comfort is to run here and seize hold of the Lord's Prayer and speak to God from the heart, Dear Father, I sinned against you and I sinned against but. And then he stops you and he puts your arms around you and he says, Dear Father, you've commanded me to pray. Don't let me fall because of temptation. So the rest is fairly clear. Deliver us from evil. Get us out of trouble. And you can read this thing from the exorcist. I've given this to you before, but I've tried to... If you're curious about <coughs> how you go bad, you go bad if you touch it. And you'll be, you'll be tempted at your weak point. If it's a mortal sin, that's what it'll be. If it's a venial sin, that's what it'll be. If it's an imperfection, that's what it'll be. And as soon as you engage it, you're in deep danger. So um, how do you preserve yourself? You go to the sacraments. You put on the armor, right? We talked about this last year. You say your prayers, and then you beg. At the very last page, temptation is incompatible with prayer. Somebody came last night, and uh, it was great because we had a visitor who said, why do you have incense? And the kid behind was a, was a visitor who said, I love it when you light things on fire. And I was like, <laughs> that's the reason we have incense, right? Because who doesn't like it when you light things on fire? Okay. Now, the cool thing about that was, out of the mouth of, mouth of babes, right? The great thing about that was, I basically just said, well, Jesus liked the smell and the devil doesn't. It's really that simple. Jesus loves the smell of incense. We know because he gave us the recipe at Exodus. We know because the wise men, that's what the wise men brought him. And our smell is the wise men's smell. That's the stuff. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that's what's in our incense. That's the one we buy. Jesus likes it. The devil doesn't. The devil is all about things that are broken, putrid, painful, dark, horrible, frightening, right? And Jesus is the opposite. So the more you embrace beauty, right? Why do we ring the bells? 
because pay attention, the temple is here, and evil flees, right? And you can say it out loud, you know, and it doesn't even say demons in the scripture. It says, be gone, you unclean things. Like, it doesn't even really recognize. It's just like, be gone, you unclean, the things that are unclean. You know, you simply do the things that Jesus has given you to do to protect yourself. You know, say your prayers. Go to the sacrament. Remember your baptism. Forgive other people. Don't harbor sin in your heart. Don't touch evil. Don't engage sin. Mortal, venial. Watch your imperfections. Do your best. But whatever happens to you, when you go to bed tonight, say the Lord's Prayer and know that as you go to bed and as you wake up, your Heavenly Father has His arms around you and His words to you are, You're my beloved child and with you I'm well pleased. Right? And if you do that, everything will be fine. All right, we've got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you next week.